Welcome to the Beach Catholic Podcast with Father Brian Barr. In this episode, you'll have the opportunity to listen to the gospel and Father Brian's homily from this past Sunday. Also, look out for the next episode later this week, where, as always, Father Brian joins me for some great discussion. But until then, here's the homily from April 30th, 2017, the third Sunday of Easter. The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. That very day, the first day of the week, two of Jesus' disciples were going to a village seven miles from Jerusalem called Emmaus. And they were conversing about all the things that had occurred. And it happened that while they were conversing and debating, Jesus himself drew near and walked with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? And they stopped, looking downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, said to him in reply, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who doesn't know of the things that have taken place there in these days? And he replied to them, What sort of things? They said, The things that happened to Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, before God and all the people. How our chief priests and rulers both handed him over to a sentence of death, crucified him. But we were hoping that he would be the one to redeem Israel. Besides all this, it's now the third day since this took place. Some women from our group, however, have astounded us. They were at the tomb early in the morning and didn't find his body. They came back and reported that they had seen a vision of angels who announced that he was alive. Then some of those with us went to the tomb and found things just as the women had described. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O you, O how foolish you are! How slow of heart to believe all that the prophets spoke! Wasn't it necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them what referred to him in all the scriptures. As they approached the village to which they were going, he gave the impression that he was going on farther. But they urged them, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And it happened that while he was at, with them at table, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them. With that, their eyes were opened and they recognized him, but he vanished from their sight. Then they said to each other, weren't our hearts burning within us while he spoke to us on the way and opened the scriptures to us? So they set out at once and returned to Jerusalem where they found gathered together the eleven and those with them who were saying, the Lord has truly been raised and has appeared to Simon. Then the two recounted what had taken place on the way and how he was made known to them in the breaking of the bread. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. My uh, father died uh, 13 years ago. And uh, at the funeral, my niece Megan, uh, she gave a eulogy. She, uh, she's the oldest of the grandkids. Um, she was a junior, in, I think a junior in college at the time. So 20, I guess, maybe 21. Um, anyway, she killed it. She gave this really, really great uh, tribute, really, to, to my dad, to her grandfather. It just really uh, captured his spirit. Um, that's when she was, like I said, about 20. When, when Megan was 12, uh, she and her family moved to Singapore for a couple of years. My brother had this job opportunity, and uh, they decided to go. They knew it would be just for a couple of years. So the whole family went, 
Now, at the time, like I said, Megan was 12, so she was not thrilled about moving, number one, and she certainly wasn't thrilled about moving to Singapore. Um, so it was a, a tough time. Um, anyway, listen to this. This is part of what she said um, in this eulogy. When my family moved to Singapore eight years ago, I went through a tough period of semi-depression that lasted a couple of months. Grandma and Grandpa came to visit during that time, and I was so happy to see them that I snapped out of my gloomy mood for a while. It was almost impossible to sulk and cry in front of Grandpa, because he was so vibrant and energetic all the time. The days after they returned to New York, I was feeling sad and lonely again, until I climbed into bed one night. I looked up at the ceiling and discovered that Grandpa had written Hi Meg in black magic marker under the bookshelf above my bed. I started to laugh and cry at the same time because when I closed my eyes I could just hear him saying those words. It was just like Grandpa, funny, thoughtful, and completely spontaneous. So when I think of him now looking down on us from heaven, I know that he's only a few feet above my pillow. It was kind of nice, wasn't it? Um, and it was that was just that was just a part of it. Like this was a it's a great eulogy. Um, had a conversation with uh, a priest. I know. Uh, I guess it was about a year ago. We were at a at a at a priest conference, and during one of the breaks, we were just talking and. We started to talk a little bit about funerals and uh, eulogy, eulogies in particular, and he was telling me how he doesn't allow them in his parish. He just said uh, he's in a big place, so he's got a lot of funerals, a lot more than, than we've got here. Um, but he just said he doesn't allow them anymore because they've gotten out of control, um, and they really have in a lot of cases. I I, I know what he's talking about. Um, people, I, I just... People getting up and just telling like incredibly inappropriate stories up here in the pulpit, um, making crude jokes. Um, I've heard stories about people cursing. You know, like like up here, it's like, what? What are you crazy? Like, what are you? Have you ever been in a church? Do you have any idea what you're doing, where you are, what you're saying? And it's and at that point, it's like you're kind of held hostage. You got no choice. I mean. I remember once being at one, and it was this was a five year, maybe five years ago, and this guy was so bad. I was looking over at the fire alarm thing, and I was thinking, <laughs> I'm just gonna pull this thing. It was just, it was so bad. It was, um, you know, and this is not much, it's not much you can do. Um, I get it. I get what this guy's. I, I get why he doesn't allow them. Um, I've gotten burned, like I said, a couple of times, but. But I've also witnessed great eulogies. Um, and I think when you get a great one, I, I look at it and say, all right, it's worth it every once in a while. You get a, you get a bad one. But when the good ones just make it worth it. Because I think when a person really nails it, they're able to bring people to another place. They're in a, they're in a sad place. They're in a dark place. Place. They're in an uncertain place. And sometimes just the words of another person. I just think 
bring light to a dark moment and bring hope and to a sad time. Um, I think Megan's words did that. Um, I saw this, somebody emailed me this uh, photograph uh, not too long ago. It was a, it was a couple of photos of, of uh, churches with like that, like churches that have like these church signs in front of them where they just put up these messages. They'll maybe change them every week, a little scripture passage, whatever. Um, sometimes they're kind of clever, whatever. This one just said, one of the ones that he sent me was, uh, God allows U-turns. Which I just thought was kind of interesting. God, God allows U-turns. And I think like a, a really good eulogy could almost kind of create like a, a U-turn experience where you are, like you're just walking in this dark place. And then words about the person you miss, the person you love, just, they stop you. And they, maybe they'll make you laugh. They'll make you smile. And you kind of do a U-turn. Um, and I'm not saying, you know, it's not about eliminating or denying pain sadness and grief. I mean, that's, that's reality. I just think it's about sometimes, sometimes finding meaning in the sadness and the grief. I think of these two disciples in this real famous story, this road to Emmaus. I think these two guys, it's like they just couldn't find meaning. They couldn't find any hope like, the, it was just completely dark for them. And I kind of get why. You consider what, what they must have been going through. How sadness and grief at times can be absolutely paralyzing. Like, I just, I can't, I can't get past this. And I think in their case, you got to certainly dealing with sadness. I think they're also dealing with legitimate fear. Because they had to be thinking, hey, we, we may be next. What they just did to Jesus, we're next in line. I saw a Good Friday night after we were kind of done, done here in the church. I, I watched with a friend of mine, uh, Passion of the Christ. I've seen it a couple of times, but uh, man, imagine, imagine having some sense of what a crucifixion was, was about and then thinking they may be coming after us with that. You know, it's almost like, you know, when somebody has, somebody has cancer and they've been able to remove the tumor successfully. But a lot of times the doctors will say, well, let's just, let's just blast it with radiation just to make sure any remnants are gone. That could have happened to these guys. Yeah, well, they, they thought Jesus was, he was the cancer. They cut him out. Let's just, let's just kill a few more of them to make sure any of his followers, they're done. They're gone. So they're also dealing, they were just sorry, scared for their lives. And then I think the last piece maybe is they just lost their faith. They even say it here. They're talking to Jesus on the road. They don't know it's him. They're describing what's happened. They're describing Good Friday. And then they describe Easter Sunday. They say, yeah, a couple of the ladies in our group say he's risen. They said the tomb is empty. But they didn't believe it, I guess. Because they just kept going. They were walking away from where the ladies were. So they just lost faith. I mean, hey, we all know people who've, who've experienced terrible tragedy in their lives. 
And they've just walked away. They've just said, I'm not, I'm not, I'm done with God. I don't believe anymore. The sadness is too much. I'm frightened to death. I don't believe. That's these two guys. They're done. No U-turns for them. Until they meet Jesus. And then the U-turn does happen. But not right away. Interestingly enough, like it says, they don't, they don't know it's him. They're talking to him. But they don't recognize him. We never quite were, there's all different theories as to what that meant. Did he physically look different? Did they just, did they just not understand? Were, were they, what, what was it? Why, why do they not know it's him? It's like they had become blinded in some way. Was it like, like emotional blindness? Could it be blindness brought about by sadness? Or fear? Or doubt? Or all of those? I think any one or all of those things can lead us at times to become blinded. It's like I just don't see a way out. This is never going to get better. I'm done. It's over. No, it's not. No, you're not. I think we have those moments, but it's not done. It's never over. That's what these two guys thought until they invited him to, to stay over. It's interesting. Jesus is talking about scripture. He's they're describing what happened. Nothing's clicking. No bells are going off. And then they say to him, Jesus says he's kind of going on. He's leaving. They're getting off to go to this probably like a, a, a place to eat and maybe spend the night. Jesus kind of says, all right, nice talking to you guys. I'll see you later. And they go, no, spend, stay. Stay over. Get something to eat. It's late. And that's when things begin to make sense to these guys. They recognize him at the meal, our Eucharist. But you know what? That doesn't happen if they don't invite him in. Say they just said, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Good night. Good luck. If their grief, if their sadness, if their fear, if their doubt completely paralyzed them, they would have been like not even thinking of inviting him in. But they at least did that. In the midst of their darkness, they were like, hey, this other guy, is, he's good. they looked out for him. And that's when things got to get started to become better. That's when the U-turn happens. I remember doing a, a funeral uh, for a woman in a, uh, a couple of years ago in a, in a previous parish that I was in who had died of uh, cancer. And she was young. She, was, uh, she wasn't even 50. And I, you know, in the course of her getting sick, I got to know her and her family. She had a couple of kids. She was married, and it was very tough. It was a very long final year for her. And then she died, and uh, her husband was just beyond devastated. He just, uh, he couldn't get past what had happened. And it was becoming, it was becoming a problem. It was... Uh, he was kind of becoming absent to his kids in, in ways that he really couldn't, shouldn't have been. And he, uh, work, work responsibilities had just become nothing to him. And he was starting to drink a lot. Um, 
It was not good, and it was not acceptable. And then one night, in the midst of this, he gets a call from his oldest, who's uh, away at school, college, and he's hysterical on the phone, his oldest son. And his, his friend, uh, the friend of his son, had committed suicide. And he was just beside himself because of this. And the father immediately speaks with him. And then he, in, in, and a half hour later, he's in the car and he's driving up to campus to get him or to be with him. And he said to me, the father, this was weeks later, he said, uh, when I was in the car and I was heading to go get him, he said, for the first time, I started to find some peace. I started to come out of myself. And he said, I was walking into a firestorm. My, his nephew's, I mean, his, uh, his son's grief. But he said, for the first time, I, I stopped thinking about myself. I had to think about my son. It's like my son was in need. I had to go rescue him. And he said to me, that was like, that was like the, the start of the end of his paralysis, his blindness. The U-turn the started to happen for him at that moment. And he started to refocus and recommit. It's like this whole thing that happens to the disciples when they say, come stay for dinner. They think about somebody else. And that pulls them out of their darkness. Same with this father. I got this book, um, I don't know, maybe about it, maybe a couple of months ago. And it was uh, it's an interesting book. It's written by this uh, journalist. She's a newspaper uh, journalist. Interesting. She's been working, she lives in Alaska, in this tiny little town in Alaska, middle of nowhere. And she writes, been writing for 20 years. All she does is write obituaries. Like, that's her job. And, uh, now I think this real rural area, it's not like, you know, at home here, you do an obituary on Newsday, and it's like one inch by one inch. And it just says, you know, family members and where and when the funeral's going to be. But the I guess small town, you have less people dying. So, you know, it's, it's an article about the life of this person who died. Well, that's what she does. She meets with these families and she, she writes about the lives of their, their, lo their loved ones. Anyway, the name of the book is Find the Good. Unexpected Life Lessons from a Small Town Obituary Writer. Listen to what she says here. Writing obituaries is my way of transcending bad news. It's taught me the value of intentionally trying to find the good in people and situations. And that practice has made my life more meaningful. So an elderly man who's been housebound and incapacitated by a stroke for 25 years finally dies. And I find time to sit on the sofa and look through family albums with his widow and admire how, hands, admire how handsome he was in his World War II uniform. And how ha happy they both looked on that beach vacation the year before the stroke. Or when 12-year-old sons, 12-year-old twins lose their mother to cancer. I'll quote their father, praising them. And tell them how he plans to take them on a family drive across the country to see their grandparents. I understand why you may think that what I do is depressing. But compared to the front page news, most obituaries are downright inspiring. People lead all kinds of interesting and fulfilling lives, but they all end. My task is investigating the deeds and the characteristics and the commitments 
all that he or she made of their precious life. My job is to find the good. I like that title, Find the Good. I think that's what we're supposed to do. Particularly when we're walking on a one-way street in the dark and overwhelmed and scared and doubting. When we're these two guys on our road to Emmaus, I think we got to find the good. God shows up. It's interesting. Jesus showed up. But he doesn't crash the party. He kind of stands outside. And he goes for the walk with us. But we got to invite him in. What if they hadn't? What if they had just said, hey, good luck. Nice talking to you. Have a great night. They would have kept, they would have gotten up the next day and kept walking away. But because they invited him in, because they thought about some, someone beyond themselves, they found the good. And they were never the same again. I think that's what Megan tried to do and did in this eulogy. And I think that's what that grieving father did on his way up to, to meet his grieving son. And that is what these two guys did on the road. I just think it's this. They all found the good. When they did the good. They found the good when they did the good. So do the good. Thank you for listening to this week's homily. Once again, look out for our next episode later this week where Father Brian joins me for some great discussion. Also, don't forget if you've got a question for Father Brian, you can send an email to beachcatholicpodcast at gmail.com or you can connect with us at facebook.com slash beachcatholicpodcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to the podcast by downloading the iTunes app for iPhones and the Stitcher app for all other devices. And as always, please share with your loved ones. We'll be back later this week, and until then, God bless.